made that video about camping. How many of you guys went camping? That's good. Yeah. Are you all rested up? I mean, I'm sure you got really great rest there. Uh, we let the kids camp in our living room recently, <laughs> and that's like my kind of camping. I'm like, give me the recliner, and like, that's great. But I will come next time. I actually couldn't come this weekend. Uh, on Saturday, Josh and I and our kids went to Charlottesville, which is where I'm from. We moved so far away. We're talking about like the Middle East. I moved a whole hour away from home. And um, we gathered with probably about like 200 people uh, to remember the life of my cousin who passed away a week prior in a car accident. Um, and so my cousin Paul died in a car accident on October 9th. And I think we have a picture of him. He is six months younger than me. That's us when we were kids. Obviously not like last week. And yes, I did have red hair. Anybody with red hair? Yes. I also had I know, like anybody else. Okay, mine did not stay. This is like real. This is natural. I've never dyed my hair. Except for once when I was in high school, I didn't dye my hair, so I dyed it reddish brown, which is what it already was. So it just took all the highlights out. Um, but that is my cousin, and we are so cute. I don't know who gave me that haircut, but uh, there's some issues with them right now. Um, but yeah, my cousin Paul was um, just the life of the party. He was so fun. He loved kids. Um, he had just found out a few weeks prior that he was going to be a dad for the first time. And um, yeah, and then he was gone in a car accident. And so as I was talking to one of my family members about it, the next morning they called to let me know. I asked Levi today, I was like, should I talk about this? Because I'm totally going to cry. So, um, But as I talked to one of my family members about it, they were talking about the accident. They were describing what happened. And then they said this. They said, you know, it just makes me worried because I think about all the kids, meaning me, this is a generation above me talking, all the kids and the grandkids who are now driving. And this person was just filled with worry and filled with fear because Paul had died in a car accident and this statistic that we know exists, it became real and it became their focus and it became kind of all-consuming. And as I've talked to this person since then, um, they're still worried. They're still focused on the worry. And isn't fear and worry like that? It kind of like constricts you from moving on. Worry is always there to comfort us, right? To come alongside us and say, I'll stick with you. That's what worry is like. And I think that as I was thinking about this passage that we're going to look at tonight, and I was thinking about worry, I was thinking that probably in this room, we have all experienced some worry in the past two years. That we're living in a pandemic, so there's worry over getting COVID, there's worry over giving COVID to someone else, there's worry about our family members. Right now, this week, there's probably a little bit of worry over midterms, or worry over the past midterms we already did, or the things that we have turned in or have yet to turn in. Um, also, may the Lord bless you and give you favor for being here this week, <laughs> and, and just give you back tenfold the time that you're spending focused on the Lord. And so as I was thinking about worry, 
I was thinking how kind of all-consuming it can be. And the good news for us is that even though worry is pretty common, it's a pretty common experience these days, it was also a common experience in the first century. And that's comforting to me, and it's good for us tonight as we walk through the book of Luke, which is the, the Bible's, uh, one of the books in the Bible that walks along and shows us what Jesus did when Jesus was on earth. Jesus is God in human flesh, and it shows us the life of Jesus. And it's good for us tonight that it was a concern in the first century because Jesus actually speaks to the issue of worry. And so if you'll turn your, bi- turn your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke chapter 12. And after you get there, I want you to look up and let me know that you're there. I don't know who won, by the way. I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> when I was growing up, I grew up in church, and we did these sword drills, they called them, because, you know, the Bible is your sword. It's your, like, offensive weapon. And so we did sword drills. So, so funny. I always cheated, though. I always had my finger between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm confessing, like we were doing earlier. Um <laughs> All right, everybody's there. Okay, this is the question I want to ask you before we start. I'm going to make it a little personal. This is, a, this is not rhetorical, but it's just think about it. Don't speak it out, so it kind of is. Uh, but I want you to think about this personally for yourself. I want you to fill in this blank. And if you're writing notes, you can, you can take this down. Uh, lately, I've been worried about what? What comes to mind? So I'm going to give you just a minute. Lately, I've been worried about what? Lately, I've been worried about what? So as we think about worry, as you think about that specific worry that has been in your mind, that you have been focused on or thinking about, is there hope? Is there hope for a life not filled with worry? And is there a hope with Jesus that even the thing that you wrote about that you wouldn't worry about anymore? So we're going to see that tonight, Luke 12. We're going to pick up this story where um, Jesus is actually journeying. So we've seen a lot of his journey. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And he's making his way to Jerusalem because he, Jesus, knows that he is headed towards the cross. He is headed to die for, for the penalty for our sins so that we can have life. He's headed to die for the penalty of our sins and to resurrect again, to come alive again, so that we can also have victory in our lives. And so Jesus is is 
talking about the kingdom of God as he goes. He's teaching everyone around him. He's discipling people. He's discipling the disciples around him, all the other followers. There are many, many followers at this point. Many people have kind of been like attracted to this group, attracted to Jesus, and they're like, wow, he has something that I want. He's speaking truth in a way that I've never heard before. And so there's a lot of people around. And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, talking about how he is bringing the kingdom of God right then, and one day the kingdom of God will be in perfection, like will be complete and completely here. So we live in this now and not yet kind of situation. And so as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, talking about how life is different than the present in the kingdom of God, he gives us the solution. He gives us the solution to our worry. And we're going to start with the solution, and then we're going to work backwards. Okay, so we're going to start at a verse lower, and then we're going to move back. So the first verse we're going to look at is verse 31 in Luke chapter 12. Verse 31 says, Seek his, meaning God's, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So there's a list of things that we can worry about, and this is Jesus' solution. He says, seek his kingdom. That's it. You can close your Bibles. You can all go home. Just seek his kingdom. That's the, that's the answer. I'm just joking about that part. We're going to flesh it out a little bit. So this is the answer to worry. This is the answer to worry. That as we seek the kingdom of God, we won't have to worry. Our focus will be on the kingdom of God. And our focus will help us have right perspective on other things in our lives. It is so simple. Seek his kingdom. And yet it is so profound and so life-changing. So Jesus has been having a conversation, a discussion about worry and how our worry will dissipate as we focus on the kingdom of God. So let's see how this plays out. We're going to go to the beginning of chapter 12. So in this case, Jesus is leaving the house of a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious leader of the day. And the religious leaders of the day were kind of upset with Jesus because he was talking about things in a way that they didn't understand. He was making some waves in, in places where they just wanted to be right. And they wanted to be the leaders. And Jesus has this following, and they're not really sure what to do with him. And then one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to have dinner. So Jesus and his followers go to have dinner. And then Jesus is himself and says some truth, right? The Pharisees don't want to hear it. And so as Jesus leaves, it says that the Pharisees, um, they kind of just start, uh, they kind of start the momentum behind what will eventually kill Jesus. So they start this frustration with Jesus. They start having this um, discord with Jesus, right? And so this is what happens. Jesus goes outside of this person's home. It says there's a huge crowd gathering. Jesus is a pretty big deal at this time. People have heard about the healings. They've heard about the teachings. And, and now there's a lot of people. And it says there's such a big crowd that they're trampling on each other. If you go to Cairo, you might experience large crowds. There are a lot of people there. And it's really awesome. Um, so there's really a lot, a lot of large crowds. Jesus kind of pulls the people who are closest to him in. And he says this in verse 4. He says in chapter 12, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that 
can do no more. Super encouraging. But really it is. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, do no more. Jesus says this because the Pharisees are starting to be really frustrated with Jesus. And Jesus is God, and he knows the end. He knows that he is going to die, and he knows the fate of a lot of the disciples. All of them, actually. None of them are still alive today, so they definitely all died. Uh, But so Jesus knows the fate and the way that people will die. He knows that there's a hard road ahead of the disciples and ahead of the followers of Jesus. And so he tells them in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. So Jesus takes the most drastic thing that can happen, dying, and he brings kingdom perspective to it. Jesus says that, remember, we're seeking first the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is eternal. That means the kingdom of God exists and reigns beyond our time, our short time, really, here on earth. And so Jesus is giving this instruction. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. The kingdom of God is eternal. And it is the base for what Jesus shares, this rest of the way he shares to live. Remembering that God who created us, that God who knows exactly how we should live and thrive, is saying, hey, this life is so short in comparison, and there is eternity after this. So Jesus says, don't worry about those people. He says, make sure you're right with God. So let's keep reading to see how we will live different. The kingdom of God is eternal, right? So Jesus says, it's not people you should fear. Don't fear these Pharisees. You know, they're going out of the Pharisees' house. Don't fear these Pharisees. Instead, make sure you're right with God. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, you don't have to turn there. This is just a bonus. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if only for this life, If for only this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people to be pitied. Right? We've been talking in Luke about how Jesus brings hope. And this verse tells us if our hope is only about what happens on this side, then we should be pitied. But it's not. It's an eternal hope that we have forever and ever and ever that we have this hope because of Jesus, this hope of a life lived in the kingdom of God. So Jesus continues with this framework of the eternal kingdom of God, and there are three implications of this kind of mindset. Three implications that he talks about, this seeking first, this eternal kingdom. Implication number one is that you don't have to defend yourself. Now, this doesn't mean that you get to go and be mean and rude and like just be like, well, that's just how I am, sorry. Right? Because Jesus also talks about how the Holy Spirit changes us. 
the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of time abiding with God, the fruit of being a follower of Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I felt like I had to list them all once you start, you know. So those kindness, right, patience, but, but you don't have to defend yourself. Jesus says that we don't have to worry about what others think as we pursue Jesus. This isn't just an in-general statement. This is as we're pursuing Jesus, as we're seeking first the kingdom of God. And when we look at this eternal mindset, when we have this seek first, this eternal kingdom kind of mindset, we don't worry as much about what other people think about us, right? And instead of bringing glory to ourselves, which is where that comes from, we're bringing glory to God. In verse 11, Jesus says, When you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. And why does he say that? For the Holy Spirit, who is God with us even now, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So Jesus pulls his close followers in to explain that they don't need to be afraid of other people, even rulers, because the most that rulers can do, the most that somebody else on this earth can do, is take your life. And Jesus said they can do no more. And there is eternity waiting. Later in Luke, we'll see that Jesus says that to be absent from the body is to be present with God. And so we know that at the end of our life here, if we are a follower of Jesus, we get to be with God for eternity. So Jesus is talking about these really serious things, right? He's pulled the disciples in. They're still outside of this Pharisee's house. He's pulled the disciples in. There's a big crowd. People are trampling. And then this happens. Some guy from the crowd yells this to Jesus in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So Jesus is talking about how we should have an eternal kingdom of God perspective, right? The worst that will happen here is someone will kill you. Like, be willing to live this life for me. And then some guy yells from the crowd, like, Jesus, my brother isn't sharing. I just hear that in my kids' voices, like, Jesus, they're not sharing with me. They're being mean to me. And it's just so funny for me to think of this scene where Jesus is like, intimate with the disciples and he's like listen we're gonna do this thing like just keep serving me i'm with you the worst they can do is kill you and this guy's like jesus he won't share his money with me and jesus is like dude who appointed me like a judge or arbiter over you and then he gets to the root right he's like you're being you're full of greed like that's what's motivating you right now it's not a worry about fairness. It's not a worry. About, it's, it's greed motivating that worry about your brother and the money. 
Jesus hears this man ask. He cuts to the root. And he says it's about greed. Watch out for greed. Why? Because greed turns our focus on more. Just having more. And Jesus knows that what we focus on matters. Jesus has said, seek first the kingdom of God. He had just been saying, don't seek your own glory of people. And now he's going to say, and don't seek money. Don't focus on money. So in further response to this man, or maybe just those close enough to hear Jesus, I'm not sure, it doesn't really tell us, Jesus tells this parable. And he talks about this man in the next few verses. He talks about this man that has such a big harvest that he doesn't have the room for it. He brings in all of this food or grain, and he doesn't have room for it. And so he kindly gives it to those in need. Just kidding, he doesn't do that. I wish he did that. But instead, he, this man fills his barns. Ooh, hit my diamond, sorry, it's good. This man fills up his, the barns. It's a real, it's a real like, threat now, but I'm like, whoa. Um, this man fills his barns up with all of the food that he can hold. And you know what he does? Because he has excess, he builds bigger barns to keep for himself. Some of you guys have made more money this semester. Some of you will make more money as you live your life. Are you going to build bigger barns just to store it and keep it? Are you going to be focused on more? Or will you seek first the kingdom? Jesus says in verse 20, he says, this man builds bigger barns. And then you know what happens? In verse 20 it says, God says to this man, you fool. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. A.K.A. he's going to die. And Jesus is like, now what have you prepared for yourself? You've only been preparing on this side of heaven. You haven't made it right with me. You haven't seeked first the kingdom of God. Stop first. I know, it just sounds weird. But yes, that's what it is. So Jesus says, now what have you prepared for, for yourself? I told you to seek first the kingdom. Right? That's what Jesus is coming to tell people in the first century and today. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. And in verse 21, he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. God will say, you fool. Like, you had eternity waiting for you. Eternity in the kingdom of God. And this is how it'll be if we focus on what's on earth instead of God and the kingdom of God. Accumulating wealth on earth just so we can do nothing, drink and be merry, as the parable says. You can go back and read it later. But that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come so that you could worry more about having more, having more money, having more possessions. This guy seems like he has the American dream, right? 
Mark, Mark Renfro kind of came for the American dream last week. And we're coming for it again, because Jesus does. So this guy seems like he has the American dream. But it's, it's not God's greatest will for your life. That's not the, it's not the American dream. It's to be right with God and to partner with him in bringing the kingdom here. We see that Jesus is headed toward the cross here to give his life. And we saw last week in Luke 9 where Jesus says that we have to lay down our lives to live for Jesus. And the American dream is kind of like this guy storing up great reserves. And it's not that saving money is bad. That is not at all what it is. But it's the motivation. You can save your money so that you go on, go on spring break. You can save your money so that you can do whatever God calls you to do with it. Saving money is not bad. It's actually a good idea a lot of times. But this guy was just saving to save, to have more for himself. He wasn't saving money so that he could go give to the, those in need. He wasn't making bigger storehouses so he could feed his community. Some of you will make a lot of money, and that's okay. But you'll be required to give a lot. Right? Because it's not about having more for yourself. It's about having more. And when you seek the kingdom, God will guide you for how that money will bless people, how it will bring protection, provision, food, sustenance, security for people. So Jesus wants you to be wise with your money. He talks about stewarding. He doesn't want you to worry about having enough of it. And having more. Thirdly, Jesus talks about the implication of seeking first the kingdom of God. Sorry, the second implication was that we won't be bound by money, but instead we'll be free to live generous. That was the second one. Thirdly, Jesus talks about the implications of seeking first the kingdom of God and how we seek first the kingdom of God. When we do that, we won't even need to, it's not about worrying about excess, having excess. He's like, even when, you don't even have to worry about having your basic needs met. In verse 22, Jesus says to the disciples, therefore, I tell you, side note, when you see a therefore in the Bible, there's a question. Are you shaking your head at me? Do you know what I'm going to say? There's a question I want you to ask, and it's going to be memorable for you. Whenever you see therefore written in the Bible, written in the Bible, I want you to ask this question. You can write it down. It's really extensive. Ready? You can repeat it after me. What is the therefore, therefore? Ready? Repeat it after me. What is the therefore, therefore? Good job. Some of you got it. Let's try it one more time. Ready? What is the therefore, therefore? Good job. Those are so smart. It's all those brain cells working. So neurons and synapses are just going crazy. You're like, whoa, that's so true. Because why, like, why is the therefore there, right? What's it there for? What's the previous part? We've already read that, right? So Jesus says, knowing all of this, therefore, he says, verse 22, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, about your body, what you wear, for life is more than food. I do love food, though. <laughs> And you can enjoy food, just don't worry about it. Don't focus on it, right? Focus on Jesus. 
Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Jesus is saying there is so much more to life than just food and clothes. And even these basic things should not consume our minds. We shouldn't focus on these things. We can think about these things, but we think about these things in light of the eternal kingdom of God. Right? We think about these things in light of the eternal kingdom of God. And then Jesus talks about the ravens. He says they don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. That's like a callback to the guy storing up all the things. He's like, consider the ravens. Like, they don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you? And the thing about ravens is they would have been considered one of the lowest animals. Like, they were unclean. They were just nobody liked them. And so God's like, if God even cares about these ravens, like, surely he cares about you. And then he goes on and says, he's really practical here, ready? Verse 25. You're going to want to underline this one. Or highlight it if you've already underlined too much, you know, and you have to go back and, like, highlight or star things that are, like, really, really, really important. I had the I experienced that in a book I'm reading with Emily. And I was like, sorry, I underlined too many things. I had to star this one. (laughs) This is what it says, 25. Who of you, really practical Jesus, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life. He's like, what the heck is the point of worrying? It does nothing. And then he says, he has a little flex here in 26. He says, since you cannot do this very little thing, God's like, I added all the hours of your life. Like, I am the one who is in control of your life. You can't even add one hour. God's like, since you can't do this one little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus is pretty great, isn't he? I'm like, I really like him. He's got so many jokes. You guys should read the Bible if you're not, because it's great. <laughs> Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Let me tell you this. Worry is not an indicator. It is not an indicator of following Jesus. Worry is not a fruit of the Spirit. Didn't see that listed there? Didn't hear that listed there? It's not a sign that we're the people of God. Worry is not an overflow of great faith. It's actually quite the opposite. Worry casts doubt on God's care for us. Doesn't it? When we focus on these things that we've mentioned, when we focus on our safety, when we focus on having a surplus, when we focus on our food or our clothes, when we focus on what other people think, we're not focused on God. Can we think about those things? Yes, absolutely. Jesus has so many, so many ways that he says are best lived, the way that we can live our lives best. Jesus has so many comments about things, like stewardship of money. Like He's not saying don't think about these things. He's saying don't focus on these things. We should be viewing these things in light of the eternal kingdom of God. So Jesus goes from the ravens, the kind of lowest animal, and then he talks about Solomon, and he says, he says, you know, Consider the wildflowers, verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow, which are beautiful, right? Wildflowers. 
He says, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, who was one of the greatest kings, not even Solomon, he was like the richest one, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these wildflowers. And if that's how God clothes grass of the fields, which is here today and gone tomorrow, like, how much more will he clothe you? It's saying, you don't have to worry, you don't have to focus on your even basic necessities, because God cares for you, and God loves you, and God is with you. And so verse 29 says, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink, don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows you need them. Jesus compares that that idea of worrying about these things to pagans, people without Jesus, people without hope in Jesus. And can I tell you, if we are running around worried all the time about these things, it's not a good look for Jesus. People will be like, you're going to be like, come to channel, come to channel. And they're going to be like, why? You are no different than me. What is Jesus? How has Jesus changed you? Jesus said it, not me. <laughs> For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows, like he knows what we need. He knows, and he loves us. And as a parent who I think I'm loving, like I'm trying to be, as a loving parent, like, I don't want my kids to worry for anything. Like, when I think about what do I want my kids to worry about, it's literally nothing. Like, I do not want them to worry. I want them to know that I'm caring for them. I, I will provide for them, for their needs, and even some of their wants. But no more Nerf guns, because they're going to go in the basement soon. I'm kind of tired of them. <laughs> Please don't buy my kids Nerf guns. Or Josh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Then Jesus sums it up again in verse 31. Here we are again. Seek his kingdom. Seek this eternal kingdom of God, and these things will be given to you. Seek God's kingdom, not your own. Focus on God's kingdom, right? And Jesus says, and everything else will be done for you. Everything you need. What could happen if we did this? And the worship team can come up. What can happen if we did this instead of focusing on the things that can cause us to worry, right? Also, I have the definition for worry. Did I put it in here? Oh, it's so good. Somebody look that up for me. <laughs> He's the definition of worry. You know, you know what he's got me. Okay. I'm going to look it up. What could happen if we chose to focus on the kingdom of God? Worry is defined as giving way to anxiety. It says to give way to anxiety or unease. To allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Ooh, Jesus, sorry, Josh, this is yours. Jesus says, 
at the end, he says this, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. Little flock is like a term of endearment. So you can tell that to your friends later tonight. Hey, little flock. (laughs) Be endearing. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's not just something that God, God has required to do, but God is pleased to give you the kingdom. The kingdom where people are whole, where people are healed, where people are set free from everything, including worry. So Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. That's literally in there. Go get new purses. Provide purses for yourselves that won't wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes, no thief comes near, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. With Jesus, we can store up treasures in heaven. Right? Instead of like that guy with the barn storing up treasures on earth that are good for really nothing after this life. There are about 365 times that Jesus says something like, do not worry, do not fear, do not be afraid. And that's about one for every day. And those are just documented times, so he probably said it much more. And he probably said it a lot because he knew that we'd be faced with the choice a lot of what we're going to focus on. Dick Brogdon says, who's coming next week, just listen to this and you'll be really excited. He says this, and it's something that he said once and I've never forgotten it. He said, everyone is invincible until their time. Everyone is invincible until their time. We don't have to worry because we serve a God who determines life and death. And we serve a God who has an eternal kingdom in store for us as we follow him. You guys can stand. I stand up here and I say these things and Jesus said these things knowing that some of you, some of us in the room would be diagnosed with anxiety, right? And I think that medicine is a way that God sometimes uses to heal us. I think that therapy is helpful. And I think that it's all for nothing if we don't seek first the kingdom of God. If we don't focus on God, those things can help us focus on the eternal kingdom of God. And so tonight, um, we're going to sing Psalm 23 again. I just want you to think for a moment on these questions that might come up behind me. What am I focusing on? What am I seeking first in my daily life? If it's not the eternal kingdom of God, what is it? And I want you to think about that. Allow the Holy Spirit to to speak to you. And then ask God to help you give it to him, to release you from the bond of worry, to entangle and free you from anxiety. I believe there is full healing in Jesus, even in this moment. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing.
God, we thank you that with you, we can live a life without worry. With you, there is hope for a life without worry. And I thank you, God, that that you allow us to live worry-free because we know you, because you're with us, and because we know that the kingdom of God is eternal. So thank you, God, for helping us seek first your kingdom. And as we sing, just when you're ready, make this a declaration to the Lord.